0: Let's read together from the Huddleberg Catechism, Lord's Day 48. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon, we continue to learn about how we are to pray. Our focus turns to the second petition Your Kingdom Come. Often, when we pray this petition, we think about the return of Christ on the clouds of heaven. We tend to think in terms of the future. And that is indeed part of this petition. But more is involved. We speak about God's kingdom. We deal with his ruling or reigning. The focus of this petition is on the fact that God as king reigns not just over this world, but also over our lives. In this petition, we're praying that God will rule over us, both individually and as church. One of the struggles that we face at certain times in our lives is that we do not see God answering this prayer. Yes, we know that God is in control of all that happens in this world. We confess that he's not just the creator, but also the sustainer of life. We know God cares for his people. But personally, in my life, I'm running stock. Where is God when I need him? Why does God allow so much hardship in my life? Is he really the living God of heaven and earth? And if so, why doesn't he help me? In such circumstances, we tend to get frustrated. Yes, even frustrated with God. At times, we turn away from God. No, it's not that we're rejecting him completely. It's just that we become discouraged. After all our praying, there doesn't seem to be any answers. And so we don't look to God for help anymore. The reason is we feel like he isn't listening anyway. We just don't feel like he can help. In the face of such a struggle, God's word provides us with direction about how we are to pray. Psalm 44 teaches us how we as God's children are to confidently pray for God's rule over our lives. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. In the second petition, Christ teaches us to pray for our father's rule over our lives. In our prayer, we are to acknowledge God's mighty deeds of the past, to plead for God's dominion over our lives today, and to look forward to God's eternal kingship. One of the struggles that we as human beings face is that we're often ruled by our emotions. We let them get the better of us. Because we're angry, we say something that we shouldn't have said. Because we're frustrated, we lash out, even though it's not the other person's fault. Please understand that the emotions themselves are not necessarily wrong. The question is, what do we do with them? And that applies not just in our relationships with one another. It also applies in our relationship with God. There's times in our lives with God that we're very happy That we rejoice in God's blessings. We give thanks to His name for the good gifts He has granted. There's also times in our lives when we struggle to understand God's way with us. We can think that God isn't really being fair to us. And then there's times when we become angry, times when we get frustrated. We blame God for the troubles in our lives. And the result is we lose confidence in God's ability or his willingness to help us. Then our communion with the Lord is affected, especially our prayers. In the second petition, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us us to pray, Your kingdom come our catechism provides a beautiful explanation for what this means. It teaches us that we are asking our Father to rule over us. We're asking Him to be King in our lives. The catechism says, So rule us by Your Word and Spirit that more and more we submit to You. Thus we're praying for God to rule over us. We're praying that we may more and more submit to Him. But how are we to submit to God's kingship over our lives? That question becomes especially important when we lose sight of how God is working in our lives. How are we to pray this second petition when we're frustrated or perhaps even angry with God? Does it make sense to ask God to be king of our lives when it seems like he's left us in the lurch? How do you talk to the Lord when he seems to be sleeping? These are not hypothetical questions, beloved. They're real questions that a child of God asks when he's struggling with God's inactivity in his life. Psalm 44 brings these questions into focus in a special way. It's a lament that the children of Israel sang after their enemies defeated them in battle. It's a prayer that they offer to God in a time when they simply do not understand His ways. There were times in Israel's history when the Lord allowed their enemies to prevail against them because of their unfaithfulness. But that's not the situation in Psalm 44. This Psalm makes it clear that the people were not unfaithful. Just look at verses 17 and 18. The people say, All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. In Psalm 44, God's people were not being chastised because of their disobedience or because of unfaithfulness. That would have been understandable. But God has allowed their enemies victory at a time of covenant faithfulness. He has allowed his chosen people to be pillaged, to be taken captive, to be ridiculed, and so the people were faced with a question, if we're obedient, why do we struggle? As a community, they faced the same question that Job faced personally in his life. Beloved, Psalm 44 is very instructive for us in the culture in which we live. Many churches today preach a health and wealth gospel. They teach that if you truly have faith in Christ, the Lord will bless you with prosperity. They teach that God wants believers to be physically healthy, materially wealthy, and personally happy. Sometimes this teaching is called the name it and claim it gospel. For those who promote it teach that if you ask God for health or wealth or happiness with true faith and confidence in him, he will give it to you. I wonder what these false teachers would do with Psalm 44. In it, God's people were faithful. They were in a living relationship with the Lord, their God. Despite their faithfulness to the covenant, God was not blessing them materially. God allowed their enemies to defeat Israel's armies. Their land had been overrun. Their goods pillaged. Many of their people exiled. Today, Christians can face great great struggles in their health. As God's people, we may undergo economically challenging times. Times when we struggle to pay the bills. At times, God's children face ridicule and oppression. And even persecution because of their faith. Psalm 44 teaches us how God's people in times of old approached God in trying times. This psalm provides us with some direction about how we are to pray when struggling with God's inactivity in our lives. In the first place, it teaches us how in our prayers we are to acknowledge God's mighty deeds in the past. When faced with defeat on the battlefield at the hands of their enemies, God's people began their lament by remembering God's redemption in times past. The people say, oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. The people go on to describe how God drove out the nations from Canaan and planted his people in the land. They confess that God had granted their forefathers the victory. They say, for not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted In them. Beloved, there's much we can learn from this. In times when we struggle to understand God's ways in our lives, it's important for us not to turn away from God, but to look towards Him. One way of doing that is to remember God's mighty deeds of deliverance for us. Our deliverance is so much greater than Israel's was. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt. We have been delivered from bondage to sin and Satan. They had Moses as their mediator. We have Jesus Christ as ours. They were given rest in Canaan. We may look forward to an eternal rest. God has done many wonderful things for us. He gave up his dearly loved son to die on the cross for our sins. Through Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of separation between God and us has been broken down. As Paul says in Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's death has restored us in our relationship with God. In Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, Paul shows what this means for our lives today. He asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The point, beloved, is this. If God was willing to give up his dearly loved son for our sake, won't he also give us everything else we need? Yes, there are. And there will be situations in our lives when we do not understand God's ways. There are and will be times when it seems like God is not answering our prayers. Yet we need to learn to submit to God. Also in the midst of struggles and trials and temptations. To help us do that, it's beneficial to confess God's mighty deeds of the past. For that gives us confidence. He'll also deliver us in our present situation. On the basis of God's redemption of Israel in the past, the people in Psalm 44 confess their faith in God. They confess, You are my King, my God. They go on to express their confidence in the Lord. They say, Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. The people don't trust in their own power to save them. They continue to look to the Lord for deliverance. They rely on him to save them in their distress. Again, there's much we can learn from this. If in our prayers we acknowledge God's mighty deeds in the past, it's only a small step to confess our faith in Him. If we confess that God the Father is creator of heaven and earth, it becomes much easier for us to trust He will provide all we need for body and soul. If we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we also begin to rely on Him to save us from the mastery of the devil. If we confess the Holy Spirit as the Lord and the giver of life, then we also learn to depend on Him to make us share in all Christ's benefits. Loved, please remember that it's often our emotions that lead us astray. Just because we feel cut off from God doesn't mean we're actually cut off from Him. Just because we're frustrated with God doesn't mean that God does not love us anymore. Who God is and what God does are not dependent on how we feel about him. It is through his word that God has made himself known to us. It's through his spirit that he works faith in our hearts. Christ has taught us to pray the second petition In it, we ask our Heavenly Father to so rule us by his word and spirit that more and more we may submit to him. It is precisely the times when we feel that God is not answering our prayers, that we need to pray this all the more. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see how in our prayers we are to plead for God's dominion over our lives today. Remembering God's works in the past and searching out what he has to say about himself and his word give us a new perspective on life. But that perspective can be sorely challenged by the current situation of our lives. At times, the contrast between who God is and how we experience him can be very great. While our faith is strengthened by considering what God has done in the past, our confidence disappears when looking at the trials and the hardships we face today. In such situations, how are we to pray to God? Psalm 44 gives us some direction in this. What God's people did was lay their struggles before the Lord For them, the contrast between God's deliverance in the past and their defeat in the present was very real. All they had to do was turn their eyes to the battlefield. The horrible scenes that confronted them made them cry out to God. They don't hold back their tears, their struggles, their questions, or their doubts. They cry out in a communal lament. They lay their need before the throne of grace. Listen to what the people said. They say to God, But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and scattered us among the nations. You've sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You've made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and the scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler. At the sight of the enemy and the avenger. In these words, we see that God's people pour out their hearts to the Lord. They lay their complaint against him directly before his face. The people's words are strong words. They question why God didn't go with them in battle. They accuse the shepherd of Israel of neglecting to care for his flock. Israel struggles with the fact that God allowed them to be humiliated before their enemies. How is it possible for God to reject his people, to give them up, to sell them, to make them a byword among the nations? Psalm 44 does not give us answers to this question. It does not provide an explanation for why God allowed his people to suffer defeat at the hands of their enemies. In this sense, Psalm 44 is different from the struggles of Job. In Job's situation, we're taken behind the scenes of world history. We're given a glimpse into what happened in heaven. Where Satan accused Job and where God responded to him. And in Psalm 44, no reasons are given as to why God's people suffer defeat on the battlefield in a time of covenant faithfulness. However, this psalm does teach us that just like the children of Israel, we may, yes, we must, lay our struggles before the throne of God. It teaches us to plead for God's rule. Over our lives. Beloved, just like Israel faced defeat at the hands of their enemies, so we also can face great disappointments and struggles on the battlefields of our lives. Let's never forget that we're involved in a spiritual struggle, that a great war is being fought over whether we give our allegiance to God or to Satan. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Paul teaches us that part of the armor of God is that we pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Psalm 44 teaches us to pour pour out our hearts before God. It teaches us to lay our struggles and difficulties before Him. Not in a general sense, but specifically If God's people could do that in the Old Covenant, then we may certainly do that today. For we have Jesus Christ as High Priest at the Father's right hand, pleading our cause. As the author of Hebrews says at the end of chapter 4, for we do not have a High Priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet, without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just look, beloved, at how God's people called on the Lord in their day of trouble. Look at the prayer they offered in verses 23 to 26 of Psalm 44. The people said, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In this prayer, we see God's children crying out for him to save them from their distress. We see them pleading for God to rise up, to act on their behalf. Now we can ask questions about whether the people's theology was completely correct. Is it true that God was sleeping? Doesn't Psalm 121 say that he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep? Has God really cast off his people forever? Doesn't Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 teach us that God is faithful, that he keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments? Beloved, we may be sure, our Father continually watches over us, that he loves his children with an eternal love. What we need to understand is that in Psalm 44, God's people were pouring out their feelings before the throne of grace. To them, it seemed like God was asleep. To them, it appeared that God had cast them off Forever. We should not nitpick their prayer on a theological basis. Instead, just like God's people in Psalm 44, we need to learn to pray to God, pleading for him to be king over our lives. That's what Christ teaches us in the second petition. This brings us to our final point. In our prayer, we are to look forward to God's eternal kingship. One of the benefits of struggles and hardships in this life is that through them, God works a desire for a better life into our hearts. At times, God's blessings in this life can become a curse. So often, they direct our attention away from the Lord we get caught up in the materialistic lifestyle of those in society around us. Our focus gets put on earthly things. We get so comfortable, we can forget about our homeland. We get so secure, we can forget about our king. Connection with this it's beneficial to remember the perspective Abraham had. God had promised him and his descendants the land of Canaan as their inheritance. Abraham did not live long enough to share in the fulfillment of this promise. But for him it didn't matter. For as the author of Hebrews says, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He desired a better, that is, a heavenly country. Says the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second petition, we not only pray for God to rule over our hearts and lives in the here and the now, We also pray for the fullness of his kingdom to come. We pray for the completion of Christ's church-gathering work, for his coming again on the clouds of heaven. At times when all is going well for us in life, we can get slack in praying this prayer. We often neglect to focus on the future when everything is going so well in the present. But that changes when we undergo various trials in our lives. God often uses them to make us long for Christ's appearing on the clouds of heaven. Thus we see that in the second petition we also pray for God's eternal kingship. Already now, God is king of our lives. Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Yet the fullness of his kingdom has not yet come. In our lives we still struggle with all the effects of sin. Here now we're still confronted by the attacks of the evil one. But all that will change with Christ's return. Then we'll be renewed. So all sin is banished from our lives. Satan and his evil spirits will be cast into the eternal fire. We will live with God on new heavens and a new earth. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He'll cause us to delight in his presence and share in his glory. Beloved, let us earnestly pray the second petition. Let's acknowledge God's mighty deeds in the past. So we learn to submit to His ruling over our lives today. Let us bring before the throne of grace the struggles and difficulties that face us. Let's plead for His gracious help and protection. Let's pour out our hearts to our Heavenly Father, depending on Him to answer our prayers. Let's also keep our eyes focused on the promises God has made about the glorious future that awaits us. At times, our faith may be severely challenged because we don't see God answering our prayers. But especially in those times, we need to remember God has promised to hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together from hymn 44, stanzas one, two, and four.